Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to talk, I want to start, he's going to start a new series next week for the next probably five or six weeks or however long it goes. So I want to close out the ladder and just kind of give you some thoughts. Um, I always try to get here before everybody or pretty close. And this morning I, uh, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to take a drive. And so I just kind of drove and talked to the Lord and uh, I can feel his presence even now. Um, I'm so thankful for his presence. I don't know where I would be without it. There's some people I know that they believe that God doesn't move or talk or uh, I think, how do you serve a God that's not alive? He, our God is alive and he's with us. Um, and he began to shift what he started talking to me about, about the ladder. And I feel like there's some people here today that are discouraged. And uh, he, sent, he sent me to just encourage you. And I hope that you leave uh, better than you came and more encouraged. So I, I just want to look at a few scriptures. Acts 2. I'm probably not going to cry through this whole thing. I think I'll get it together. So thanks to John. Me and him have a code, so he's a good man. It says, and then they gladly received his word. This is talking about Peter preached the first sermon after on the day of Pentecost. And they were baptized. I want you to see this. They received the word. They were baptized. And there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's revival right there. Amen. And they continued steadfastly. I want you to grab that phrase right there. So they got saved. They got baptized. But that wasn't enough. They continued steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine, by the way. The New Testament was not written yet. So they needed the apostles' doctrine to understand what Jesus told the apostles so that they could understand what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was about to be, so to speak. And then look at this. And fellowship. And in breaking of bread, the word there, if you break it down in the Greek, that does not mean breaking bread like one place it says they did it from house to house. That's not the fellowship they're talking about. That actually means the holy sacrament of communion. So they, they actually took communion. And then look at this. And in prayer. And we're going to go back to 42 in a second. I, I think I gave you the rest. And it says, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Jesus, we thank you for today. I, I pray that you help me just get across what you've put in my heart. God, I love you. I love your people. I'm so glad we're here today. We just thank you for your presence. We love you, Jesus. We just want to take this day and honor you. It's about you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go back to 42, and I, I want to hit something. It says, and they continued steadfastly. What does that have to do with the ladder? I'll tell you, it has pretty much everything to do with the ladder. Because if you've ever been saved, or if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were just like this 3,000. You, you called on the name of the Lord. Hopefully you were baptized. If you haven't been baptized, we got pools all around Alabama, Birmingham, Mount Olive, Coleman. We'll find you a pool and we'll dunk you. Because you need to be baptized. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ instructed us to be baptized. Because you need to show, it's an outward profession, that the old man is dead and buried and the new man has been made alive in Jesus Christ. Now some people argue about sprinkling and all that stuff. I'm not going to go there with you. That's another time. We're here to edify. If you want to talk about doctrine and sprinkling and all that stuff, that's fine. I believe in submersion because I believe Jesus was submerged because it says when he came up out of the water, it's hard to come up out of something if you're sprinkled. But anyways, he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came upon him and it signified if he did it, he was showing us we need to do it. So if you're not baptized, you need to be baptized. And, and then it says, and then they uh, continued in the doctrine. So I want to hit these few things and these few wrongs. So let me tell you what happens to a lot of believers. There are so many books being written every day by pastors and by ministers, and they see a problem in church. You don't have to be in the church long. It's not a seven-mile thing. It's not a Pentecostal thing. It's not a Baptist thing. All people are writing it from every denomination, every non-denomination. They are seeing something in the pews that is a problem. And I've been seeing it for a long time, and it's breaking my heart. And when he began to talk about the ladder, I realized that the answer was in that, that ladder. For all of us, I don't care how long you've been serving God, it's in the ladder. It's We have to continue steadfast 
steadfastly. That means that you've made up your mind. You're going to go forward. You are going to continue. They realized then more than we realize now. When they said, I'm going to get saved, they knew they could die. They knew they could lose everything they had. They knew they could be stoned to death just like Stephen was going to be in a few chapters later. They knew that I've made up my mind no matter what comes my way, I am going to continue with Jesus Christ. Now today, maybe you've, we've all been there and gotten saved and we've all been baptized and we're all ready. Listen, the point of today is it's time to keep moving. It's time to continue. There is no level where you're like, hey, I've reached the, I know every word in this book. Even if you know every word backwards and forwards in this book right there, there is something called the rhema where God drops it and makes it alive to you. I've read the story of David five million times probably in my life. And every time I read through 2 Samuel, I see different things and new things and life-changing things. Some of y'all are smiling and nodding because you know this is alive. The word became flesh. This is not a dead letter. This book is alive. That's why this book is so threatening to the world. This book changes lives. This book brings unity. This book takes racism out of people's heart. Racism is not an American thing. Jesus addressed racism all the time. Oh, he did? Absolutely. He came to the Jews and said, oh, hey, yeah, you know those people you hate? There was a guy, and he got, he got robbed. And uh, he was a Jewish guy. And all the Jewish people walked on the other side. But the Samaritan, the guy you know you hate, the guy that you think they're, they're inferior to you, oh, yeah, he actually came and helped the guy. We call it the Good Samaritan. We don't even realize it addressed the racism in the heart of the people. This book will cure it. This book right here, in the hearts and lives of people, will change people. This will absolutely get you to a place of love. This book. And it says, so they continued in the doctrine. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's just start there. Wrong one. I got saved. So what's the next wrong? Continuing steadfastly in your time in the Word. You would be amazed how many Christians that have been in church a long time, do not daily eat this because it is food for your spirit, man. If you're too busy for this, something's got to move. It's so funny to me how many Christians have opinions about everything going on in the world, but their opinion goes against this because they don't read this. They've been regurgitated this from a pulpit. Listen, you will never get to know God the way he wants to know you if you only depend on me and Pastor Red to feed you twice a week. You've got to get back to this. You, this has got to be a priority. You, you've got to have time for it. I, I don't care how you get it. You've got to get it. If it's devotionals, read them. I, I don't care. But, but they knew one thing first. If I don't have this, see, this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And let me tell you how a lot of Christians look to the devil. He comes at them, and they get behind their shield, and they say, I have faith, I have faith, I have faith. And the devil's just pounding them into the corner. They don't do anything for anybody else. They live a completely defeated life, but they say, I have faith, I believe Jesus, I believe in Jesus. And the devil just beats them to death. They have no sword. They don't rise up and say, listen, listen, no weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper. Greater is he that's inside of me than he that's in this world. All things are working together for my good. I don't care what the doctor says because we heard the name of God last week, Jehovah Rapha. My God is the healer. I don't care what it says. This says, I am the Lord God that heals you. And that means he's Jehovah Rapha. And you have to go on the offense. How many Christians don't go on the offense? How you doing, brother? I'm making it. I'm hanging on, brother. I'm hanging on. Most people that tell you they're hanging on, they've been going a long time ago. They ain't been hanging on no way. They are way past hanging on. That's Christianese for I'm getting my teeth kicked in. How you doing? I'm hanging on, brother. 
I'm trusting God. What are you trusting Him for? You've got to trust Him for this. This is a sword. It's sharp. It's powerful. It's quicker than two, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's quick. I mean, it's alive. This thing is alive. Well, I believe in Jesus. Great. Keep climbing. Get, get in this. I, I believe in him. Great. Yeah, so the Bible says so do the devils and they tremble. Are we victims of the South? Our Southern Christianity? Where everybody's a Christian when you're born? Well, I'm a member of so-and-so. Great, I don't care. Like, you've got to be a member of heaven. Like, you have to be reborn. That's awesome that you are a member of, I don't care where you're a member. I like the fact, I don't even think we have membership or anything here. Just come and be a part of the church. Amen. What a great concept. Maybe we do have membership. I'll need to probably join or something. But <laughs> I don't care about all that foolishness. Bless God, brother. We had 14 come down and walk and take the right hand of fellowship. What? The world is dying and going to hell and we're giving people right hands of fellowship? I can tell some of y'all don't like that religious when I mess with your religion. It's okay. I've been doing this a long time. I don't care what your face looks like. Look at the second thing. This is just as big as Bible. Some of y'all are not going to agree with me, but that's okay. Stay with me because I love you. Fellowship. You know what's wrong with a lot of Christians? They have no Christian influence in their life. See, because when one falls in a ditch, there's nobody to pull him out. But see, when two are together, one falls in the ditch, the other one pulls him out, and a cord of three are not easily broken. Where did I get that? Straight Scripture. We need each other. There are going to be times, and we're going to end on weary Christians today, and God's going to recharge some of you. You walked in here today not thinking about anything but church, and God, you're going to leave a lot different than you came today. You trust me. I've met with him today. I know his mind today. But so many Christians, they only know God in the aspect of coming to church and leaving. You've got to have the fellowship of the saints. Well, what does that look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like Sunday school. It looks like drinking coffee, sitting around there with Sister Sandra or whatever class you're in and talking Bible and hearing other people talk about Bible. What does it look like? Our girls' small group. We're getting ready to start a guy's small group. We've got it in the works. It looks like hanging out with people at Starbucks. It looks like hanging out with people and fellowshipping and talking. Some of the greatest things that have happened in my life were men of God and women of God that have poured into my life through fellowship. I didn't get it at church. I got it around the table eating food, as you can tell. And we ate food. And they talked about how God moved in their life. And they talked about how God was faithful. And I, I talked to one lady. It was so awesome. During the Depression, she was going to go to a church service. They said, we're rationing gas. And she ran out of gas going to church. She went down to the creek. And she's so country, and I love her. She called it a crick. She went down to the crick, and she filled up her bucket, and she said, God turned it into wine. He can turn it into gas. She filled her car up with water from the crick, and she drove on to the church service, and she drove on back home, and she drove on to the church service. See, that story's not in the Bible, but when you hear that story in fellowship with the believers, it all of a sudden something begins to rise up in you, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing the Word, and they begin to practice the word listen she knew the story of water to wine so she instantly knew God can do anything her faith impacted me a lot of believers are like okay yeah I'm gonna try to read my Bible listen don't miss the continue up the ladder Christian friends I was a student pastor for about 18 years my biggest saying they can tell you well show me your three closest friends I'll show you your future Yeah. Oh, I was looking for something really deep. Oh, no, that's as deep as you can take it. You want to be a gossip? Hang out with a gossip. You'll, you'll be a gossip. You hang out with drug dealers? You'll be on drugs. Simple. Yeah. You want to, your three closest friends be on fire for Jesus Christ and love him? It'll happen. 
Your three closest friends are your future. I tell people all the time, you want to be successful in business? I would get around successful business people. I'd ask them some questions. <laughs> what you doing? How's it working? What didn't work? We have a whole generation of know-it-alls. I want to sometimes just post on Facebook and say, how's that knowing it all working out for you? Question mark. And just leave it alone. It'll hit everybody. Everybody think I'm talking to them. I'm really not talking to anybody. It's the fellowship part can't be like, oh, I've got time for church, but I don't have time for the fellowship. You hang out with a bunch of guys that are always talking about women and talking about cheating on their wives and talking about that. You're not going to get free from it. Every guy in here is like, I don't know what he's talking about. Oh, I do. You've got to surround yourself with godly people that talk godly, that act godly, that are godly. Fellowship is so important. See, we're in such a hurry in the church that really we want to run them through the salvation line and run them right back out the door and say, Finn, here's a Bible. You better read this. Fend for yourself. Tough world out there. Hope you make it, champ. Good luck. Might want to start in John. Don't start in Song of Solomon. Please don't start in Revelation. You're going to be really confused. Those seven-headed monsters coming out of the sea, they're going to trip you up. Right? It's quiet in this Presbyterian church. No, you got a fellowship. Like, he did not die. I said it Wednesday night. I'm trying not to be repetitive. He did not die on the cross and say, I'm going to be brutally murdered to know them and to love them and to be with them so that you could come sit on a blue chair. Do you really think that was Jesus' whole vision for the church? Here's my plan. I'm going to be brutally murdered and humiliated. They're going to pluck my beard and spit on me. They're going to cover my head and slap me and say, prophesy who did it just so that I can be touched by God so God can be my Abba and my Father. I'm going to do all that so I can reconcile man and God so they can come and sit on a blue chair once a week and say, boy, we did a good job. Was that God's plan? That's what's wrong. No, like it's going to take you outside of the normal church. Like when he comes in, he don't just play well with others. I don't know why all these preachers can't answer the question with a TV camera on them. Is he the only way? He is the only way. He has to be the only way. But, or if he's not the only way, burn this. Let's burn this down or sell it and let it be a beer house or a bingo hall or whatever because we're all joking. But he is the only way. He is the only way to the Father. He can only be the only way to the Father. You cannot get to God through except Jesus Christ. But he didn't just die so we could just say, hey, we came on Sunday, we said an hour. Some of y'all have never heard me preach and you're going to be like, thank God when Red comes back. I don't like this guy. It's okay. You might not like what he has to say. But look at what I'm saying. There has to be a continual, steadfast. I, I had this thought last night when I was praying for the service and the Lord just dropped in my heart. Ask him, are you better right now than you were this time last year? Are you deeper in the word? Are you deeper in prayer? Are you deeper in your love for the saints? Are you deeper in your relationships? Show me what God's whittled out of your life. This is a real scary scripture. Who he loves, he chastises. How do I know I'm a son and not a bastard? Some of y'all hadn't read your Bible enough. You think I just cussed. It's in the Bible. Check it out. Some of you are like, whoa, that word's in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. It means fatherless. How do I know? Because he corrects me. 
How many believers do you look at and they say, I'm a Christian, and you say, okay, tell me one thing this week he corrected you about. I didn't say he spanked you. I didn't say he abused you. People have a totally weird view of God. He is gentle. He wouldn't ask us to be the fruit of the Spirit, kindness, gentleness, goodness, if he's not gentle. No, no, no. When I mean corrects you, I mean like used to be in football practice. We had some coaches. They didn't really believe in gentle correction. But then every now and then we had some coaches that would come along and be like, hey, you're ducking your head a little bit because you're wanting to knock that guy's teeth through the back of his head. And when you duck your head, he's making him cut on you and you're missing the tackle. Keep your head up and stay straight. Remember that? See, he didn't, that, those guys didn't chew you out. That was good coaching. That's what God does to us. He comes alongside of us and says, hey, look, look, you're laying in front of the TV for two hours every night. You're a father. You're not praying for your kids. I'm here to answer. I'll help you. Just talk to me. I'll help you turn the TV off. I'll help you. He's not going to beat you. But he's, if he's not correcting you at all, if he's not talking about your love and how you talk to people, listen, my wife tells me all the time, sometimes it's not what I say back to people. It's the look I get on my face. He's getting me, he's dealing with me about my look. She'd be like, soften, soften your look, soften your look. They know you don't like that. They know. Chill out, smile, take a breath. Now, I know everybody in here don't have any of those problems, okay? I'm just preaching to me today. But sometimes God has to work on me. He has to get me where he needs me. I got to keep climbing. I've got to keep climbing. They had to continue. Look at this. The next thing, breaking of bread, communion. I, I want to touch this real, real quick. They, they've got baptism on the verse before and communion. It, it's, the Bible does not say, it says, as all, it says as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It does not say do this often. Now, that means whenever you do it, if you want to do it often, that scripture says you can do it often. If you don't want to do it but once a year, it also says as often as you do it. There is no set time. That's why Jesus said it that way. Do you want to know why Jesus didn't touch divorce very much? Because there's so many different scenarios of divorce that could happen. You'd have to have 14 books on all the different scenarios. He covered it under several blanket statements. And they really cover everything. Same thing with communion. He covers it. As often as you do it, so if you do it once a year, you do it in remembrance of me when you do it. If you do it every day, I know some people that do it every day. Who cares? I know people that get caught up in that. They want to take communion every day and get closer to God. That bothers you? Why? As often as you do it. We need to do it. We need to remember that there was a body that was broken. We need to remember that there was blood shed for us. Amen? That was part of their lifestyle. When they did communion, they did it together. And they remembered. Let's keep going deeper into that. You can get deep in communion, by the way. I, I, I can't even, I'd tell some of you stories about People that got healed by taking communion, I'd have y'all scared to death. There's power in communion. To remember, man, you're not in this alone. Every time you crunch that wafer in your mouth, it reminds you of the broken body of Jesus for the healing of our diseases and the healing of our sin. And we drink his blood to remember that he has made perfect atonement for us. I love it. Brother Patrick, I stand before God right now 100% clean. I am not 100% clean. I got a rap sheet called 38 Years of Living. Boy, if I was at church, people would say amen to that. Think about your last however long you've been alive. Think about all the things you did as a Christian. Now before God, today, you are completely guiltless. There's no guilt on your plate. God sees you as he sees Jesus perfect. 
You know, when, when we were kids, we used to say justified, just as if you never sinned. That is not for kids. Adults need to hear that too. Today, you are free. When you pray, you should pray with the boldness and the tenacity, knowing the devil will talk to you about your past sins. I don't care if you kicked the dog this morning and swerved at somebody in traffic. If you came in here and said, God, forgive me, I want to do better, you are as just worship him. I see so many people come into God's house and they can't even get into worship because you can see the devil's got them beat down over their past and they're condemned and they feel bad about what they've done. Man, you're in the right place. There is no condemnation in this house. This is God's house. We should worship him in spirit and in truth, having clean hands because of Jesus. Amen? I'm trying to see my time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed it up. It says in prayer, the last three Wednesday nights I've covered prayer, and I'm not going to cover it too much right here. You have to continue in prayer. Prayerlessness, one of my favorite authors wrote this. Prayerlessness is sin. Say, so how do you know that? Well, Samuel said, lest I sin against God and cease to pray for, the, for, for Israel. Prayerlessness is sin. I'm too busy to pray. No, then you've you got to clean some stuff up. You got to get God to help you because prayer doesn't take a five hour getting on your knees with your hands raised. Listen, sometimes it's good to stop and go get away. Prayer is just your heart to God. There's so many times driving down the road, I have the, the worship music on and I just turn my heart to God while I'm driving and just say, I want you to know I love you. Oh, how in the world have you put up with me so long? You are so good. I want to be closer to you. Come. That's prayer. And usually when I start to turn my heart towards him, it never fails. God's heart's towards people. I begin to think about you. You begin to come into my face. People's, people's face. I, I told Red, there's a person here today that hadn't been here in about nine weeks. And last night, laying on my bed, I was praying for the service and their face came in front of me. And I knew the Holy Spirit wanted me to pray for them. And I knew they were going to be here today. That's the good stuff in prayer. Let's talk about the ladder in prayer. I'm not going to climb it, so none of y'all worry. There's no cherry picker that could pick me up this high. Everybody's about right here on prayer sometimes. We start. We're like, Lord, I need you to do this and bless Sally and bless little Johnny and bless and bless. And really, at this level, when we first get saved, God is really our Santa Claus. And he's okay with it. Hear what I'm saying? Because he expects that you go up the ladder. There comes a place where you go to God's presence and you don't even ask him for anything. If you'll keep climbing the ladder of prayer and keep going up, you'll get to a place in prayer where you look back and say, I never asked God for one thing. I thanked him because that's biblical. I got to a place of thanksgiving. How could I ask him for anything else because I'm in his presence? He's been so good to me. Every time I look around, he's good. Even when I thought it was bad, I look back, he was just maneuvering me. I've seen people lose a job and stay faithful to God. And the next thing you know, they're in a better job. They're making more money. Boy, they didn't want to go through it. But God said, I had to maneuver you. And you begin to give thanks in all things, which is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Another scripture, by the way. And all of a sudden, you go to this next thing called intercessory prayer. Do not miss when you're talking about the armor of God in, in Ephesians 6, that right after it says the armor, it says interceding for all saints in the Spirit. There is, you didn't just put warfare and weapons on and get the armor of God on so you could come sit down. You got to continue. Now it's time to fight. And we're going to talk about how you get weary sometimes climbing the ladder. Sometimes you've got to fight. You've got to fight for people. New Christians have no... I, listen, let me say it this way. There is very little difference in a hypocrite and a new Christian. It takes spiritual discerning the difference. Just think about what I'm telling you. It took me about 20 years of ministry to kind of catch... I'm a little slow learner. Sometimes we're like, yeah, they're just a hypocrite. No, they're not. They're just a young Christian. 
Young Christians poop their diapers. Young Christians sometimes still cuss people out and flip them the bird. Now, if you're cussing people out and flipping them the bird and you've been a Christian for five or six years, you're going to have to come get your heart changed again because what's in your heart comes out your mouth. Well, it just slipped out. Uh-oh, sounds like you need a new heart. Young Christians sometimes, they do some crazy stuff. Young Christians still like, you know, when you take their block, they'll hit you in the head with the block to get their block back. That's what I expect. They're not a hypocrite. They're young. They're new to this thing. Now, Christians that have been doing it for a long time, we, we kind of expect they've gotten out of the toddler class, and now they're actually the one help, passing out the snacks. And they're actually the ones helping change diapers. Don't act like this analogy ain't working. It's right where it needs to be. No, no, no. You have to keep climbing. You have to keep climbing out of that. A lot of y'all might be cussing at home because it seems like it got weird in here. Do I have to preach on we shouldn't be cussing people out? No, we, we got to grow past that. But, but we can't. You hear this all the time. There's a bunch of hypocrites in there. No, there's not. There's a bunch of immature Christians in there that are trying to figure it out. They're new in Christ, and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. I'll tell you one for me. When I, when I got saved, the night I gave my life back to God, that was in 1999, December of 1999. I'll never forget it. I was probably a little bit drunk still when I came to church. Because my dad made me and I have I feel full of shame. If you think I'm glorifying drinking or any of that lifestyle, you're crazy. My dad made me come to church and I still was probably hung over from the night before. And I came up, but boy, when I went down to that altar, I tasted and saw that the Lord was good. And I saw there was nothing like him. And he became my mainstay and he changed me. He set me apart. He took the cusser out of me. He took the drink. I've never had a drink since then. Never won a drink since then. But he didn't take away my cigarettes. He didn't. I almost didn't share this story, but I'm going to. I smoked about a pack a day. And I knew that smoking kills the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to argue with you. Is it right or wrong? I don't care about right or wrong. We need you to live a long time. Stop smoking. You're killing yourself. So I was like, Lord, I got to stop smoking. And I'll tell you, it wasn't no whammo bammo with the wand and God just filled me. And I stopped. I had to pray for a long time. I can remember going and buying them and getting under conviction. And I'd smoke one and it'd be miserable and I would, it, I went back and forth till he finally set me free. What were you doing? Climbing the ladder of sanctification. You know what happens in the church now? We see somebody doing something we deem as a sin. Instead of understanding where they are in the ladder and helping them and encouraging them, which I'm about to get to, and keeping them going, keep going, keep climbing. We start, oh, can you believe they do that? Oh, I'm so thankful that people didn't see me smoking and come to me and be like, I can't believe you. That would have broke my heart. I would have stopped. I would have gone back. I was a new Christian. This might be weird to some of you because I'm hitting some uncomfortable things. But I love you. I'm willing to walk in uncomfortable for you. I'll never forget when God finally gave me the victory over cigarettes. I loved it. My budget, I got some money back in my pocket. I could actually do more than just walk down the aisle without wanting to cough my lungs up. Right? Some people hear that and they're like, that's not a sin. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you that I want to see you like God does live your best life. you got to be here a long time. Forget cigarettes. That's just my testimony. There might be things in your life right now that you know you need working out. I want to encourage you. Keep climbing the ladder. 
Don't let dumb Christians that don't know any better put weights on you and start throwing things at you and get you to come back off the ladder. I see too many Christians that are going good and it wasn't the devil. It was self-righteous Pharisee Christians that threw rocks and weights on them to get them to come off the ladder. Sometimes y'all look at me like I'm speaking in German and it scares me. Is this in English, Red? I don't think I know any other foreign languages. I can probably quote the Taco Bell menu pretty good. Let's hit these really quick. Listen, it's 1130. If you'll pep up and give me seven more minutes, I will get you out of here before 12. Now that makes everybody smile. Praise God. Philippians 1.9. We got to make sure JT's awake back there. You ready, bro? We're going to hit these quick. And this I pray that your love may abound. Look at Paul writing to them more and more in knowledge and in judgment. Look at that phrase more and more. I want you to see that there's more and more. That Paul's prayer, Paul loved this church. If you read the whole chapter of the, to the Philippian church, he loves this church. He invested his life. What's his prayer for him? I want you to increase more and more. What's our prayer for every member and every person here? I want you to keep getting more and more. I want you to keep pressing. I look back at my life so many times. God was doing something awesome in my life, and I started to throttle off. I love watching the YouTube videos of the people that are out front in the race, and they think they've won. Y'all ever seen these? They got their hands up, and they're high-fiving the crowd, and they're looking at the crowd, and they're shot, and that guy behind them never took off, and right at the end, the guy behind them wins, and they're like, what just happened? I could watch, I'll probably go home today and watch a bunch of those. It's, it's incredible. They throttled off too early. They thought they won too early. We cannot finish, we don't win this race until that trumpet sounds or until we breathe our last breath. We got to go after it. We got to stay after it. I hope, I hope that God puts in your mind some of those YouTube videos of those people. If you haven't seen them, go watch them. They're incredible. People be out by like leading by 100 yards, and they're all like, yeah, I'm number one. And then some dude runs right by him full speed and wins. And you're like, yes, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Don't throttle off. Stay after it. There's more and more and more and more. He's God. He's inexhaustible. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 4.1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord. We lift you up by the Lord that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. Do you see? It's all over the scriptures. Paul's prayer for him. Hey, God's told you how to walk, how to please him. Keep climbing. There's a next rung. There's the next rung. 1 Thessalonians 4.10, same chapter. And indeed, you do it towards all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you. That word beseech is like we get on our hands and knees and we beg you that you would increase more and more. You know why Paul had to beg them? Because he saw that God had been doing stuff in their lives and he was scared that they were going to get comfortable. He had to write them twice and say, hey, you, God's using you in a mighty way. God's got his hand on this church. You've got to remember where this church is. He, they are in one of the most deadly places on the planet at this time where God sprung up the Thessalonica church. And there were people all around them that hated them and could kill them. And there were all these things around them. And God's just moving right in their midst. And Paul's like, hey, don't stop. Keep climbing. Galatians, I gave you Galatians 6, 7, and 10, and this is how I'm going to close. I want you to listen to me. This is what the Lord, when I was driving today, he dropped these last two verses on my heart. I'm not telling you this is for everybody, but I can promise you that somebody's here today or somebody's online, and he knew what was going to happen. And I, I want to read this to you. It says, Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that he also reaps. Hold tight right there. Everybody in this room understands that's a principle, right? We get sowing and reaping. You, you can look at me right now. I've sowed Oreos into my body. And I have reaped this belly. Right? Let's just break it down natural. 
Some of you have a love for pies. You have sown pies into your mouth, and now you have reaped diabetes. And it's part of it, right? I thought that was a joke, but apparently we missed it. <laughs> I thought it was pretty, pretty life applicable today. Whatever you decide to sow in your actions, you're going to get it back. And the reason he says God is not mocked, there's a lot of Christians that truly believe they're going to have good fruit in their life and they have blessing with God and favor with God and they quote all these scriptures. I'm telling you, it's nothing more than Christian science and heebie-jeebie stuff. That's not how God works. As long as Red's grandmother says yes and amen, I'm going to keep on right there. I love her, Sister Nellie. I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians that they can talk to Christianese. Man, they can quote all these scriptures. But, but at the end of the day, they don't even realize that they're mocking God because their actions do everything but what they're saying. You know why the world's confused? Not because the sinner out there, because he looks at people that profess Jesus Christ. The Bible says, let every man that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, but apart from sin. That means we're saying, hey, Jesus saves. Oh, he's our freedom. And we've got all these little slogans that he is, and we're living in bondage. And they're like, wait a minute, I thought he's freedom. Then why are you in bondage? And he's like, no, you can't mock God. You can't say that you can just do your life and do your way and do your things and quit climbing on the ladder and all of a sudden you're going to just walk in blessings. I was part of a denominationalism stuff where they started quoting these Old Testament scriptures. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in my coming. I'm blessed in my going, brother. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored, brother. They don't know their Bible. They don't live for God. They'll backstab you in a heartbeat. How are you? Blessed. I'm, I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in my coming. I'm blessed in my going. It made me want to puke. Because the people that knew them and dealt business with them, there's a preacher in this city right now that when people hear his name, they want to throw up. Because every time you see him, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed in the going. He'll rip you off in a heartbeat doing business with you. I don't care if you like this. I love you. I'm going to shoot straight with you. Can you be blessed in the city and blessed in the coming, blessed in the going? Oh, yeah, you can. Hallelujah, you can. I'm in the blessing of Abraham through Jesus Christ. Galatians is my blessing. Oh, I'm walking in that blessing. I'm free from sin. Heaven is my home. And so is yours. Yes, you can walk in that blessing. But you can't mock God and just do whatever you want to do when you want to do it and then claim the blessing of God on your life. How are you, brother? I'm blessed. Hadn't seen your church in a while. Yeah, it's been about six months. There ain't no blessing on you. Uh-oh. Oh, see, because it says, forbid not the, the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. That means this people laying out of church was way back in Paul's day. Listen, I don't need you to come to church so I can count. I don't count. I don't, I don't see how many people are here or not here. I could care less. I want you coming to church because back to the ladder, I want you to hear the word. I want you to fellowship with the saints. I want you to grow. And I want us to just do more than sit in here. I want you to hear the word that's going forth and let's change our community. I want you to be here for you. I, I promise you, I've never walked into this church and been like, well, let me look around. Boy, our crowd's low today. I didn't come here for you. I need him as more than anything. Corporate worship is how we live. It's that one time a week where we come together as believers and lift high the name of Jesus together as the family of God. And he floods us and he gets us ready. And you know what he does when I'm about to close with? This is where he encourages us to keep climbing. You have no idea. I walked in here October 20th. I was so low. You have no idea. I walked into this church broken. I didn't even know where God was. Smiled at you. High-fived you. 
had a big butcher knife I felt like right in the back. And I hobbled in here sick. And David said, my foot had almost slipped until I went into the house of the Lord. And then I remembered the goodness of God. You know why I want you here every service? Because this is where God connects with his people. And this is where God heals. And this is God where God says, hey, you're, you're on that ladder. Don't you dare step off that ladder. Just hang on for a second. Your strength is coming. Your strength is coming. Just hang on that ladder. Don't, don't you. There's so many people that all they had to do was take the next step and come to church and they would still be here today. They, all they had to do, they didn't have to do anything spiritual. They didn't have to lie to God. I tell God all the time, raw emotion. He's a great father. One of the favorite things I do with my earthly dad is I sit and talk life with him. Talk life to your heavenly father. It's amazing. Some of you today have thought about quitting. I'm telling you, I got with God today. And you're discouraged and you don't really know what the next step is. And listen, I'm not saying you're talking about quitting. Nobody saw me broken walking in here in October. You saw me with a smile on my face. You probably knew something was wrong because Bethany can't hide her emotions. She was a blabbering wreck. I love that about my wife. I was smiling. I looked fine. But what if, what if you don't take the next step and come to church? I've seen so many people say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I, I can't do this anymore. Oh, you get the devil talking to you? Oh, boy, he's good at pointing out all your shortcomings. See, he makes you think it's about you. It's never been about you. It's about him. See, when you come in here, you remember it's about his goodness and not about your badness. I see so many people I talk to and they say, I can't live that. And I'm like, who can? It is for freedom that he set us free. I can't live it either. His freedom came in me. The life I lived is dead. He gave me strength. You got to keep coming though. You got to take the next step. What is that next step? Sometimes it means... And I mean, it takes everything you get sometimes to get out of bed to come to church. Listen, I've preached many times to people that I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was so pumped today to get here. I was fired up. But let me tell you, there's been times in my life where it was an absolute sacrifice of worship to just put my foot on the ground and come to God's house. Why? Because of God? No, 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 no. Sometimes his people get a little squirrely. Sometimes his people get a little sideways. Sometimes you get bit by the snake. Sometimes the devil gets you sometimes. Sometimes you get sheep bit because you get in between two sheep. It hurts for both sides. All kind of things happen in life. That's why this whole I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed coming out, that don't equate to somebody that's getting their teeth kicked in. How are you doing? I'm blessed. Well, they're like, well, I'm not blessed. So I must be doing something wrong. No, you're not doing anything wrong. You're living life. It happens. Kids go away from God. I've seen parents almost lose it. It breaks their heart. They watch a kid get into sin and into bondage and it begins to destroy them and they don't know what to do. You better stay in the house of God. He can bring every wayward kid back because he brought all of us back. I've talked to parents who said they're on drugs. I can't, get, I, can't, I can't make sense to them anymore. I can't relate to them anymore. Don't worry about it. Abba, he whispers when they're alone. Don't give up on him. He's always with them. If you're in here today, look, look at this next scripture. I told y'all, bold-faced lie. I've gone over my seven minutes but I'm still before 12. Go to verse eight, buddy. For he that sows to the flesh, so of the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the spirit shall reap life everlasting. Now look at verse nine, and this, this is what I want you to see. And Paul says, hey, you know why you're in trouble on the ladder? Sometimes you've sowed the wrong things and you've reaped it. Don't be shocked. God's not the bad guy. 
We are the bad people sometimes. We mess up sometimes, right? But he says, you're still on the ladder. Even if you've made some bad choices, you're still on the ladder. Don't get weary. Keep climbing. The word weary, literally. I love how the Greek makes pictures of words. It literally means to throw your hands down and walk away. You can't climb a ladder unless your hands are on the ladder. I'm telling you, the Lord this morning began to deal with me. There's some of you here that you're beginning to think about throwing your hands down and walking away. And he says, don't grow weary. Keep your hands up on the ladder. Keep your hands up on the ladder. Some of you might be in the place where Paul said, having done all to stand, just stand. You're in a season of battle. You're not in a season of blessing. Listen, sometimes when you're in a battle, the devil will point out to you everybody that's in the victory. <laughs> You'll see everybody taking ground for the Lord and doing all these things. And the devil will be like, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with you. You're in a battle. There's some people that are in the state of victory because they're a very immature Christian and God's having to give them treats and giving them milk bottles and all that good stuff. And don't be, why would you want to go back? You're learning something about the gospel. This is about others. It's uncomfortable sometimes. It's a battle. You think Miss Ellie wants to get up at two in the morning and intercede for people in this church every time? She's, I, she'll probably tell you yes, but her flesh person sometimes is probably like, I really don't want to get up. But once she gets up, she probably says, I don't want to go to bed. If you're on the ladder, keep your hands up. This is my last scripture, and I'll show you, and we'll close. Hebrews 12.1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay every weight aside and the sins that so easily beset us. You cannot climb a ladder with weight on you. You say, why am I so tired? I'm weary. Why do I want to lay my hands down? It could be unforgiveness. I've seen so many Christians lose it right there. Well, you don't know what they did to me. I, I know, I don't. I'm not saying I do. But if you keep holding on to unforgiveness, you will never climb the ladder. The kingdom of God is about forgiveness. Trust me, I've had to walk through this. I've said to God before, lately, I don't want to forgive. You talk to God like that, he already knows. I said, I don't want to forgive. I'm mad. But I always follow it by saying, but you can help me. And every time I say that, I can feel more of his love. And I can feel that weight I'm holding on to begin to lease. Sometimes unforgiveness takes a minute to get out. I think we want to come down here to the front and somebody anoint us with oil and unforgiveness. Now, I've had that happen before. But there's sometimes it takes a minute. You know, I know probably everybody realizes this, but sometimes family's not perfect. Sometimes the ones closest to you can do you the most harm. You know, the Bible says that you can be bitter at your wife. There's husbands walking around. They don't even realize it, that they've got bitterness towards their wife. They're like, I don't know why. Just my spiritual wife is not doing right. You might want to get along with the Lord and find out if you've got bitterness towards your wife. I could teach a whole series on what that would look like. Us guys sometimes need motivation. And sometimes if we're overly motivated... We get bitterness and we don't realize it. Because, you know, strong big men don't get bitterness. I guess the Bible's a lie. I wonder why he says that. Sometimes we don't like to be motivated all the time. And we hold a grudge. Y'all like, I've never heard this before. Yeah, it's in your Bible. You should check it out. 
our, I was going to talk about our marriages and how we could get our marriages better and how we can get our, we can keep climbing to all these, the fruits of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. And God was like, no, 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 no. There's people here today that are tired. They're absolutely tired. They want to give up. I want you to talk to them today. I want you to tell them to throw off those sins, throw off those weights. I'll help them. And then look at this. You got to run, but look at verse two. And, and I promise it's the last thing I'll say. You have to get your eyes back on Jesus. He started it. He's going to finish it. Why? Because when he, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Look at him. You know, when I do my worst, Pastor Ed, when I'm on that ladder climbing for God and I start to look at everything but, but him. I might even get, I wish I could climb this ladder for y'all, but y'all would laugh. I, I start to get up to about this level right here and I start to climb here. And all of a sudden, it's kind of easy for the devil to say, you know, you're pretty comfortable up there. I mean, look around you. There ain't a lot of people up here. You start looking at them. Can you believe what they did? I mean, I know none of y'all do that. It's tempting. You stop climbing because you quit looking at him. He, he's the goal. He's who we're after. Listen, I've looked at churches before. You'll get discouraged looking at church people. It's funny you won't look at yourself the same way you look at others. Everybody stand with me. If this message did not speak to you, then I did a terrible job. Because everybody in this room is on a level. On a rung, there's a next rung. Maybe it's your generosity. Maybe he's asking you to give more. If you don't understand what Project 25 is, and you don't give to Project 25, please come see me after church. As soon as I came here, me and Bethany said, we're going to give to Project 25. We don't pass, if you can tell, we don't pass a plate or a bag. When I first got here, I told Red, I was like, are you crazy? You don't pass a bag? <laughs> pass the bag, bro. <laughs> and he, he told me why he don't pass the bag. I was like, don't pass the bag, bro. God will take care of us. We got little dispensers back there. You want to give? Give. It's good. But if you don't give to Project 25, give to Project 25. Go on the Facebook page and read about it. We're helping our own flesh and blood. Maybe he wants you to give more. I'm giving him 20 bucks. Good. We'll bomb a Coke. Give more. I don't really have it to give. Are you a lie? Let me go with you. Let's spend a week with you. You know, you don't have to eat out every night, right? You can eat a sandwich. Give the money to Project 25. Uh-oh, I got no money. I've lost the whole crowd. No, there's a next level in your giving. He loves a cheerful giver. I found something cool about God. The more I give and the harder I throw money away to good causes and where he tells me to give, I don't even know where it comes from. He just keeps putting it back in my hands to throw. I've quit balancing our budget. If you know what a control freak I am, then you would know me not balancing our budget every week or month drives me crazy. I've quit doing it. I don't even know how all the bills get paid and how everything gets taken care of. But I just know this, I'm gonna keep giving. And every time there's plenty of money there. How's it work? I don't, it's God's math system. I'm not trying to figure out God. He said, give, and it'll be given back to you. Press down, shaking together, running over. And I'm not giving to get that back. I'm giving because he gave everything. So maybe the next rung might be giving. Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe it's your understanding of communion or baptism. You'd be surprised how many people have never been baptized. Now listen, confession is made unto salvation. You are not saved by water. When you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you are saved. But we're instructed, if we can, to go follow through with baptism. I don't even know why I touched baptism, but I did. It was there and I was like, God, let's talk about baptism. 
There's pools all around. You need us to dunk you, we'll come dunk you. It's cool stuff. I felt God's presence sometimes more at a baptism service than I did in church that day. I remember this one guy, man, he was bound by drugs and alcohol and God set him free. And when we baptized him, I'm telling you, heaven came down. When he came out of that water and started shouting, I thought we were gonna be raptured because the presence of God was so real. That man was free and his freedom spread all over all of us. So maybe there's a level you wanna climb to, but the last group I wanna talk to is the weary group. This is the group that wasn't in the sermon that God let me know. There's some people here today, you're weary. You're tired. Fatigue makes a coward out of all of us. One of the greatest basketball coaches ever wrote that. Put it in his locker room. Fatigue makes a coward out of all of us. You get what he's saying? You get fatigued, you get tired, your prayer life starts to dwindle. Your response is, listen, when I'm tired, I pull away from people. I've learned that. Because I'll act in a way that's not normally me when I'm fatigued. There's some people that I just know I cannot be around them when I am tired. <laughs> some of y'all probably have to not be tired when you're around me. That's okay. That's what love's all about. Fatigue makes me act in a way that I normally wouldn't act. Fatigue makes my emotion. So sometimes, some of the greatest leaders, uh, when you read about them, they don't make any decisions after 6 p.m. at night because they wait till the next morning when they're refreshed. That's, that's in a natural. Let's talk spiritual. People get fatigued, they start making decisions. Single people start choosing who they're gonna date and they're tired and they want to mate. God, by the way, made every single person in here. He said it's not good for man to be alone. He's got a mate for you out there. Don't get weary and get ready for one and go grab the first girl that comes along. She will be, I promise you, straight from the pits of hell. Because back to the principle of three, your three closest friends will be your future who you yoke your card up to, that's even closer than a friend. Bethany is my absolute best friend. If she don't want to serve God, we're going to struggle. I thank God she wants to serve Him all the time. But don't get weary in a decision and get tired and make that first decision because out of weariness. You'll mess this thing up. God's got to make for you. Relax if you're single. If you're married, you're in it to win it. He'll make your marriage amazing. He will. I've seen so many bad marriages be turned over to God and God start working on both of them. And the next thing you know, they're teaching the married class. They're teaching people how to do it. Or maybe you're just in your Christian walk thinking about not coming back. I'm telling you, when I walked in and saw Red tonight, today, I mean today in his office, my heart was broken. I was like, there's somebody here, somebody listening. They're really thinking about walking away from God. This is a huge service today. Not because I'm preaching my goodness. If you know me, I've preached for 20 years. I'm not like, oh, I get to preach. This is my calling. That's all it is. Take preaching away from me and I've still got him. <laughs> but, it, but he laid it on my heart. Red called me out of the blue. And you can ask Bethany, she's my witness. When I missed his call, she said, Red called you and I said, yeah. I said, he's gonna ask me to preach tomorrow. Ask her. He hadn't even talked to me about preaching. God had already told me he was gonna do something in this service. I knew I was gonna preach today. Because there's somebody here that you're thinking about giving up and you're weary. Oh, let him refresh you. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run, not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Last thing, and I'm going to have an altar call. If we wrote that scripture, we would say, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will walk. They will run. They will soar. God did not say any of that. He said they will soar. 
then they will run, then they will walk. What is he telling us? That sometimes when you first get saved, oh, you're flying with God, you're up in the clouds, you're, oh, everything's great, it's just wonderful, it's easy. And next thing you know, you're on the ground and now you're running with him. And then it gets to the place where he wants you, where you're actually on the ground, where you can help people and with him, and you're walking out life and you don't faint at walking. You're just walking it out. I'll never forget when God showed me that. I was like, that scripture seems so backwards to me. He's like, yeah, because you live in a Pentecostal sensationalistic society that always wants to soar with God and they're no good to anybody in their community. No, he wants us walking. Every day, walking it out, not weary. In this context, he wants you climbing. Every day, keep climbing. Get a little deeper tomorrow. And a little deeper tomorrow. And if you're weary, let him touch you today and get back climbing. Amen? As, as she plays, I want the band to come back up if you will. And I just want us to take a second and just slow down. As they sing, I want to open these altars. And I want you, if, if you need just to be refreshed, I want you to come. Maybe you're not familiar with the altar. It, it's, it's a place we come to really die to ourselves, but really God refreshes us.